Bill, start. Welcome to episode 115 of the Gripstrip Podcast, the greatest day in motorsports edition 2022 style, uh, part one, uh, prefacing that, hopefully to have a part two later this week. Um, doing it a little different uh, this week compared to when we uh, usually do our show. Of course, my co-host and now uh, iRacing Indy 500 winner, so, so are you so are we going to have to change your intro now that you're you're an you're an Indy 500 champion Joshua Fine or are we just going to keep it just simple Yeah I think when it when it comes to um you know important things like this yeah you can say I'm an Indy 500 winner but you know I think when regular things you know we can just keep it the, the same but yeah for special things like this yeah now i'm a indy 500 winner on iRacing, which uh still i i, I can believe it now but it, it was it was so stressful when it happened and everything and it was you know all we'll get into it later at the end but um you know glad that i was able to do that and of course you talk about this weekend in motorsports it's yeah it's motorsports christmas uh like you said uh you know offline in the lead up to the show i mean you got breakfast in the morning you eat breakfast and have your coffee or whatever your tea or whatever and watch monaco and then you can have your lunch whatever watch the indy 500 and then you know later you know eat your dinner whatever you're gonna eat for dinner or barbecue or whatever for memorial day and have watched the uh coca-cola 600 and have a coke while you're um watching that or pepsi or whatever so you know it's a great day in racing for uh everybody whether you're nascar f1 or indycar fan yeah, and that's why we have two special guests on this week, two regular contributors to the podcast. Uh, we have the recovering Joe Passero from Beyond the Flag and Fan Sided, NASCAR insider, reporter extraordinaire, um, recovering, but he is here, uh, grinding like Lando Norris did yesterday in the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, he had tonsillitis, still drove through. Um, Joe has, is recovering from the vid and he's doing this hit. So thank you, Joe, for coming on the grip strip podcast again. Thank you for having me. I'm excited this weekend. I'm glad that for the most part, everything's out of my system because this weekend is going to be fun. We got racing in the morning, racing in the afternoon and racing at night. You from the moment you wake up to the moment you're ready to go back to bed, there's a car on track somewhere. And that, to me, is truly amazing. It's a marathon unlike anything else. On top of that, for me personally, I haven't had the opportunity to be a part of this marathon, I want to say, since 2019. Uh, you know, 2020, the schedules all got thrown out of place. 2021, I was in Charlotte for the 600 uh, and therefore unable to watch uh, Monaco or the 500 in Indianapolis. So... I'm excited to to get to celebrate this day again. I'm also excited because with NASCAR specifically, I'm seeing a lot of patriotic paint schemes. I'm excited to celebrate our country and I'm 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 just excited. I don't know. I, I feel like Clint Boyer. I'm just excited over everything that's gonna be happening this weekend. Oh, that's a low bar to set for yourself. Um <laughs> unless you're gonna be drinking a lot of Jack Daniels or Moonshine or I'm, I'm going to leave out what I was about to say right there. It's pretty offensive. But um, switching over to the IndyCar side is a gentleman who uh, we work together at openwheels.com. He has his own website now, IndyCar1909.com. He's had it for a few years. An absolute encyclopedia of 
open wheel knowledge. Uh, he reminds me of my my buddy Josh Bolden from Facebook, who was nicknamed Googs by some old friends. I think Spencer Neff of IndyCar 1909 is like Googs because he can pull out stats. I think Donald Davidson should have hired you or something because your knowledge of the Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar racing is second to none. So um, we're glad that you're able to uh, enjoy yourself and see Renus von Kalfmuth um, in live and in person and now get to join us here on the GSP once again. So thanks for coming on, Spencer. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad you're recovering, Joe. Josh, congratulations. Um, is going to throw out my opinion on this. I think you should give Josh an intro with Delta Force or back home again in Indiana. Yes, um, yeah, well, Delta Force for sure. Well, that, he's he's a technical savvy guy. I I I book guests. I'm I'm like Baba Booey. So he's he's a Fred and I'm Baba Booey. So I can't bring sound. Five hundred related music though, or yeah. five hundred song from the Ting Hoosiers. But anyway, um, it's for the compliment. I feel like you know I don't think anybody you know followed Hendrix at Woodstock, and I'm too old for that analogy. But I feel like you telling me Donald Davidson should have me to follow him would have been you know the motorsports or ims equivalent of following hendrix of woodstock so thank you for that and no problem man you it, there's one thing that's for sure about this show i only bring on people that i know that know their stuff or good people um i mean for the vast majority of the existence of the show um well, the fact like, is the that you guys know your stuff you could carry me when I'm effing up, which is plenty. Um, I've had this weekend's a perfect example of it. You guys have been able to be more connected in what took place, which we'll get into. We'll give you a little taste, get a few takes in there, kind of leave you wanting more the way you should do things here in podcast world or radio world. And then um, also talk about what this week mean weekend means. I mean, not just for the fallen heroes that have provided us the freedom to be able to enjoy these races again in person if you're able to go or enjoy them on TV or through radio or whatever means you have. Being able to be with your family and your friends um, in a time where, you know, very um, trying time that we're in as a society but to be able to go to people and have a, a group discussion about a, just an amazing weekend of racing. I mean, Joe, you mentioned about last year, I think Monaco was a week before, which they do that sometimes. So the fact is it wasn't. I called it, I think I prefaced as Josh may remember better, but I prefaced this the greatest day in motorsports and in my open, I probably muttered about Monaco not being there and cursed out F1 and Liberty Media, which I probably did. And now at least it's back where it belongs. Um, the reality is this weekend is about, you know, freedoms for the, and our freedom and being able to celebrate it and you know, the men and women that sacrificed their lives for us. But it's also nearly 1400 miles of racing the biggest single day sporting event which is in the middle of the day the the what are basically the glitz and glamour of a country that's literally like four miles long which is hilarious to me um at the start of the day and then the biggest endurance race in nascar um in a in a time where endurance is an issue uh with uh, this car and with the the bad tires, which have been an issue for decades. And 
So, I mean, we're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about our memories of these events, getting what drew us, you know, like those are things that drew us to this sport. And then also, you know, um, get into it, you know, Indy 500 qualifying took place. Scott Dixon ended up having the second fastest qualifying run ever, four lap qualifying run at Indianapolis and the fastest pole uh, winning time at Indianapolis because, of course, Harry Lunatic um, wasn't able to do it on day one. He had to qualify on day two back in 1996 to set the overall track record. Um, there was a really fast weekend, really fast week of practice. And to see those speeds again was really cool and how tight and compacted it is with current day IndyCar between both Honda and Chevy and a lot of intrigue going on since Penske guys are a little further back. Scott McLaughlin uh, pulled his time and then Alex Rossi himself and now is buried tailback. Um, like Stefan Wilson didn't even get to make a qualifying run. So he'll have to start dead last, you know, different things, different teams uh, struggled. Ed Carpenter's team of course shows up. Renus VK gets another front row start. But the Ganassi cars, four of the five, uh, or all five made the Fast 12, and four of the five made the Fast 6. One seven-time NASCAR champion who at least three times last week had a chance to wipe himself out, um, maybe four. But proving once again why Jim Johnson is one of the greatest wheelmen ever lived, uh, saved his car every single time. Um, we're going to get into that. The farce that took place at Texas Motor Speedway, we'll get into that, probably get some hot takes on that, uh, where Ryan Blaney won, then almost lost, and then won the All-Star Race. And um, had great, great racing at Texas, you know, just absolutely amazing racing at Texas, you know, just what you expect from Texas Motor Speedway. Um, if you like watching people shit in a coffee can and, and light it on fire. Um, so there's that. And then in Red Bull, uh, pulling pulling uh, team orders on Sergio Perez to uh, make him pull over and give the win to Max Verstappen six races into the season, uh, which gives him three straight wins in the World Championship lead, conveniently, since um, uh, Drake bet, 230,000, as Spencer mentioned here offline, um, we saw on Twitter that 230,000 on Charlie Claire to win, and then the Drake curse happened again. So, yeah, we'll get into all those because those lead into these great races this weekend. So, um, I guess um, we'll start, we'll go with the, the Indy 500 winner first over here. Um, Thinking about, we'll put this first question out there. So when we think about, when you think about this weekend and these races, like what are your, like the things that the feeling that the tradition that you like and greatest memories of these races and, and stuff. And then I'll throw to Spencer, Joe, and then I'll finish out. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, um, the first thing you think about it is just the, um, you know, the patriotic uh, elements of it, you know, celebrating the country, uh, the playing of taps, you know, with at Indianapolis, um, you know, all the uh, different things, um, the patriotic paint schemes and NASCAR that they've ran there in the past, you know, a lot of them uh, very uh, military themed, um, you know, with uh, 
different cars, you know, honoring each branch of the military. Um, yeah, I think definitely with um, that's the been the tradition here with NASCAR and and in uh, IndyCar. Um, you know, I think it also you know kind of symbolizes because you know growing up, you know, it symbolizes the end of school. Um, because that was always at the end of the year for uh, school. I, I think, you know, we can all, growing up in America, we can all basically say that. That was either the end of uh, the school year or, or the school had already ended. Um, so, and you knew that that was like basically beginning of summer and um, that end. But then I think, you know, for, you know, the racing itself and um, everything, you know, you get to watch like all the racing that you can. Um, and certainly a lot of memories um, from, you know, the 600, because that was the first race that I grew up watching, because um, I didn't really get into Indianapolis until about maybe seven or eight years ago, um, when kind of started to get disinterested uh, in NASCAR, not disinterested, but dissatisfied with how things were going in NASCAR with um, the formats and everything with the uh, playoffs, uh, or formerly known as the chase and all that, but I mean, watching the 600, you know, I mean, that was honestly probably the first race that I actually remember watching. And I remember uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, having an engine problem, like the belts uh, failed in the 2002 uh, Coca-Cola 600. And I remember being pretty upset about that. Then yeah, I remember uh, them talking about Jimmy Johnson, how he dominated that race and but didn't win. Um, they interviewed Robbie Gordon uh, after his uh, double duty uh, in that one um, with Indianapolis and I didn't really understand like the double duty and you know next year I remember um 2003 I remember like hearing about the Indy 500 and remember hearing about um Elio Castroneves climbing the fence and thought that was really cool you know that was in very interesting like why do you do that and so you know every year being able to watch that and it also being able to watch it on TV in full length uh when I lived in Japan because a lot of times when I when I lived in Japan like I'd only um be able to see like half the race because like you know you have to get up at like 3 a.m and i also have school in the morning and everything so usually dad just wakes me up at like 5 30 and the race is already halfway over or whatever and you know, being being able to actually watch the whole race in full on memorial day when school's over and you had nothing to wake up for the next day on monday i was always looking forward to watch that and then um seeing you know all the winners that we had you know 2007 um that was a really interesting ending with everybody running out of gas casey mears getting his first win and of course got to mention tony 2011 ran out of gas. yeah tony ran out of gas too but got to mention uh you know 2011 you know dale Earnhardt jr had yeah, the lead on the final bad. lap and you know i thought it was Hard. i was gonna be the one you know that was the one where it would finally you know get a junior victory after three years and you know had, you and me had both. to wait yeah, I know you too, Joe, because you're a junior fan too, yeah. and that was the that was the you know big moment for me because I remember being out uh, at Bush Gardens in Tampa, and then lo and behold, uh, you know, go to one of those coin machines or I don't remember I don't remember what it was. I think it was something I I purchased, and then I I got a quarter or something or like yeah, it was a quarter that had the Indianapolis uh, quarter on it on the back with the, the Indy car symbolizing the tradition of um, racing in Indiana. And as Indian, you know, the Indy 500 had already been over with, and I, I didn't know at the time that Jared Hildebrand in the National Guard car had hit the wall, and that led to Dan Weldon uh, winning uh, the race there and everything. I didn't know that until later on when, you know, I found out watching the uh, 600 when we got back to the hotel room. But I was like, I, I got that that quarter and it had the Indy car on it and the Indianapolis, uh, you know, state, uh, shape on there. And I looked at that and I mean, even though it was Indy car racing, like, you know, 
my dad's always like, maybe this is the day that Junior finally wins. And it got so close, man. I still, that, that's like the one Junior victory that I want back so bad that never came, you know. So I uh, wish, you know, wish that one would have happened. But, you know, that's like, I mean, it's painful memory, but, you know, it's one that obviously sticks out and everything. And, um, you know, just the memories of watching the 600 and um, everything. And I think now, you know, with, the stage racing it doesn't i feel like it doesn't mean as much anymore because you have four 100 lap stages and the strategy the you know suspense of the race being able to um figure out like you know how much gas you're going to need at the end because this is the one race in nascar where it ultimately end up coming uh comes down almost always comes down to uh fuel mileage and i feel like we don't really see that anymore uh especially in this race because they kind of took uh, you know kind of took that element away uh with um uh the way the stage racing plays out so you know, that's my memories of the 600. And then, of course, the 500, the Indy 500, you know, um, obviously I already mentioned part of it, you know, the kind of like before I started paying attention to it more. But, you know, of course, remember seeing the headlines of, yeah, Elio winning and s seeing him climb the, the fence like Spider-Man. That's why it was interesting because that was the year the Spider-Man uh, was released in theaters, the original one with Tobey Maguire. And then, you know, you had um, Elio Castroneves uh, climbing the fence and that's why that was interesting to me at that time. But there's always a little bit of interest, like hearing about what other, you know, people said about it and everything and kind of like knowing some some things about it, but not really paying attention to it until about 2014, 2013, um, when I started to kind of want to experience or diversify my racing tastes. And so, you know, watching the Indy 500 and then watching Kurt Busch uh, do the double. That was a lot of interest in that, hoping that maybe he could win. But, of course, you know, Ryan Hunter Ray won that one in 2014. Um, and then from then on, it's just been, like, learning and understanding the history of uh, the Indy 500. And, um, you know, ultimately, I feel like I like IndyCar racing as a whole more now than I do NASCAR. Um, and, there, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, ultimately, I think it comes down to um, – you know, the ability to see the Indy 500 and, or to watch it and, um, just experience all the history, like, and understand the, the, especially with iRacing, the strategy and, you know, knowing how hard it is to win. And yeah, I won the iRacing Indy 500 and all that, uh, this past weekend. And it was, you know, definitely, definitely a hard thing that you have to do. And it's not easy. And I feel like with, you know, NASCAR kind of becoming very WWE like, and then, you know, on the flip side, you have IndyCar, which, um, I think they still maintain their tradition. They still maintain the authenticity as far as, you know, not manipulating things like NASCAR has been doing for, you know, the past almost decade now, even further back than that. But it feels a lot more pure. And that's why I feel like I enjoy it a lot more. Um, and so, you know, now, you know, every year, you know, you watch the Delta Force intros, the ones from, you know, the 90s with Paul Page, you know, watch those a lot. And those, you know, it's getting me pumped for the 500 and really, you know, anything else. Like, you know, you just watch the, I think my favorite one's the 1992 one, because uh, that's the one that kind of sums it all up for me. And then, of course, I think, you know, 1994, you know, these are the eyes of Mario Andretti. You know, that's definitely what um, gives me that uh, motivation or not motivation, but, you know, excitement to, to watch the Indy 500 every year. So, um, you know, I, I like I like how the races have played out with the strategy and still you get an exciting finish. I mean, 2014 with uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, you know, going to the grass to pass Elio Castroneves, you know, um, 2015 Montoya winning after years of being in NASCAR, uh, 16 Rossi, you know, winning after running out of gas, um, 
2019 so, uh, with Simon Pagano, you know, besting Alexander Rossi, 17, uh, you know, going back to 2017 with Fernando Alonso uh, coming to America to, you know, run in the 500. And then, you know, last year's race was pretty awesome too uh, with uh, the way that that played out and just the energy, I guess, you know, being the first big event uh, that we had after, you know, COVID and everything with, you know, 2020, you know, feeling the energy, I mean, you could feel the energy just watching the TV in that race last year. And, you know, it's an exciting race. And so, you know, that's, that's, I guess what sums up all my feelings, I guess, about, you know, the 500 and the 600, um, and everything. And didn't really mention Monaco, but, you know, I'm trying to get into it more with formula one, but, you know, I, I guess with Monaco, I, don't have as much, I guess, history as I do with the Indy 500 and, uh, the Coke 600. All good. I can go and cover that part there in a little bit, but um, great job there, Josh. Um, Spencer, um, Josh made a lot of great points, of course, about Indy, but of anybody that I know that really has a passion for the Speedway and this series and this sport, I think you you hit that very well. So I guess we start with that. What is What got you into indianapolis style racing and how is it kind of manifested to now you cover it and you get to meet drivers and do all this stuff and um how does that fit in into this whole little realm of this great day that we're going to have on sunday well <clears throat> i'm sure i know i've mentioned to you and i've mentioned a lot to a lot of people especially on my social i was born in bethlehem pennsylvania right near Nazareth Speedway, right where the Andretti family's from. Um, my Emily, you know, wanted to go check it out, and I was just kind of hooked right away, much like, you know, some kids are hooked to baseball or football or, you know, fill in the blank on any other sport or, you know, similar activity. Um, then, you know, like Josh, I kind of transitioned to NASCAR and monster trucks and some other sports. And um, <clears throat> in 2011, I ended up, attending um, Purdue University, and right when I went out for my orientation, a couple days after, uh, Mom went with me to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and this was about a month or so after that finish with um, J.R. Hildebrand and Dan Weldon that Josh had mentioned, um, and I just got kind of hooked right away. So to fast forward to 2012, you know, ended up going to my first one, and I, you know, remember being so disappointed that um, that we didn't get to see Dario and Takuma, you know, fight all the way to the finish. And, you know, I was kind of bummed because Dario had won before. And, you know, I like Dario, but I kind of like seeing new winners. Um, <clears throat> but that was disappointing. Um, took a couple years off from attending. Um, so I have plenty of my own traditions. Like my dad used to always print out a starting grid for me. So last, or last night I eat emailed him a copy of the starting grid. So he's like, you know, we kind of had a laugh about, you know, the tradition being switched. Um, <clears throat> 2015, we started started going again. Um, fully last year and this year, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go the whole month, um, not uh, through my side or anything, just as a fan. Um, last year was just incredible to see afterwards, seeing Elio, you know, tie the mirrors and Unser and Foyt and, just how much the fans reacted and everybody's climbing the fence with him. And I remember thinking that morning about how, oh, it'd be kind of cool to, you know, see him tie the record. Because, you know, there's still a part of me that's an Andretti fan and that is like 
wanting so badly to see Marco break that curse. I remember in 06 when Michael and Marco got passed by Hornish, and I I was pretty disappointed because um, for me that's kind of where the Andretti curse kind of begins and ends because I was born in late 92 after... Um, My, Jeff, Mar- Michael, yeah, Jeff wrecked. Jeff, Mario Jeff wrecked. Um, Michael's fuel pump uh, blowing out or whatever with... 11, 10, whatever oh, laps ago. Yeah, the year before, Michael lost that incredible duel with Rick Mears. Yeah. Um, so, Josh kind of touched on, too, there's a lot of the patriotic aspect. Um, being now a Purdue graduate and not being in Indiana as much as, like, and being back in Arizona, um, you know, back home again in Indiana has even more meaning for me now and I still get um, pretty teared up even just thinking about it, honestly. So I'm sure that I'm going to be you know, shedding some tears on race day, which I have no problem with. Um, <clears throat> and so this is just about a lot about traditions. Um, and being on the West Coast in Arizona, I didn't get to wake up for Monaco very much, but I'm sure I'm going to try and tune into that. Um, just, you know, and then once the race is over, I'll come back. I'll have my, what has kind of become my own personal tradition of post-race dinner at St. Elmo's, which for anybody who's never been to Indianapolis, it's Amazing steakhouse, amazing shrimp cocktail, um, definitely a must-go-to. That shrimp cocktail is borderline atomic, and a, pretty close to sinus clearing, they call it. Um, and It made John Force blush, so that tells you all you need to know. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. So, yeah, so, I mean, we'll get more into Indy itself for this week here in a little bit, but, Joe, I mean, you got to chime in a little bit with Josh because of uh, your June bug fandom at the 600. It's the home. It's like a, it's a home for the Earnhardts. And uh, of course his father won that race many times. He won the first day and a night 600 in 1993. Um, I think that was his last of what, three or four wins in the 600. Ben um, Davey of course won it as well. Um, in the day in 91 and 92 coming off of um, his huge wreck in the Winston, the one hot night Winston, when the all-star race used to be good. Um, they destroyed the rest car. He came back one the next week. And, um, but yeah, Earnhardt, the Earnhardt fandom, it is home. It is Charlotte Motor Speedway and uh big race. It was, as Josh mentioned, it's not the same as it used to be by any stretch of imagination, but it's still a big race no matter what. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have a lot of memories about uh, 600 week. Um, they don't go reach back as far as Josh, I don't think. I wasn't really involved with NASCAR until about 2004. And uh, unfortunately, I was too young. My parents imposed a very strict bedtime on me in elementary school. So I don't think, I think actually the first full Coke 600 I remember watching is actually that, that race when uh, Dale Jr. came up. Just that you know, two turns and half a straightaway short on gas and uh, Kevin Harvick rolling around to steal it uh, on that late restart. Um, although actually even reaching further, and this is probably my first real memory of the Coke 600 as a whole, Casey Kane and the incredible week he had at Charlotte in 2008 doesn't transfer through from the all-star showdown into the all-star race, wins the fan vote to just Get it right at the last second. Drives from back to the front to win the all-star race. And one week later, 
wins the Coke 600. I mean, just an absolutely incredible run from that nine team back yeah. when it was owned by Ray Enverham. Yeah. I, I have to preface that Tony Stewart was going to win that race in a Badger tire field going into turn one. He was leading the race with one lap to go. That's after the fuel mileage situation in 2007 and having two chances after running the Indianapolis 500. He cuts a bad year tire going into one and lost the 600 after giving away the 500 earlier in the year. Okay, I'm going to let you go now. Uh, you know, for me, really, um, you know, you talk about the crown jewels in, in stock car racing. Uh, for a long time, the 600, whether it was the World 600, the Coca-Cola family, whatever you wanted to call it, it was always a crown jewel. This race was meant to be one of the hardest. When Bruton Smith, when they first built Charlotte Motor Speedway and they brought those initial promoters on board, that's how they promoted this race. It's the longest race. It is going to be tough. It's on Memorial Day weekend. The temperatures inside of the cars have exceeded. I remember there was a year, I think, Tony Stewart lost like 11 or 13 pounds in the race car that night, just running the 600. Didn't run the 500 earlier that day. I mean, it is a physically tough race even though the track itself is not the hardest to run it's not the hardest on the equipment that extra 100 miles or that extra 200 miles in some instances that really puts the drivers the crews and the equipment especially to the test to to see how well they prepare that those cars um you know i think about you know this was the one race that eluded bill elliott the year that he won his million dollars in 1985 this was the one that he could not win. That's how tough this race is. And in more recent years, I think especially this race uh, has taken on a whole new meeting in 20. I mean, the patriotic paint schemes were always uh, prevalent, especially um, after the, the turn of the century. But in 2012, when the NASCAR salutes program uh, started formally, uh, I remember it was a really big deal having almost every single car on track that weekend uh, for the 600 in, in May, as well as for what then was the July 4th race weekend at Daytona uh, with patriotic paint schemes in some fashion, whether it was uh, a minor touch-up to an existing paint scheme or a brand new paint scheme altogether. Uh, and in, in addition, and probably even more meaningful than the paint schemes themselves, having the names of the, the soldiers in the different divisions of the armed forces who had lost their lives um, and had given to the country, to have those run on the windshield banners uh, from 2013 forward, uh, that to me is incredible. It's an incredible display of how this sport uh, recognizes how important uh, the country is and how important the sacrifice is that we every day don't necessarily think about uh, in order to make our lives possible. And, you know, the first time I went to the 600 in 2017, it was almost like I remember having goosebumps pre-race. They put on this incredible show. They have uh, a military demonstration. Uh, they talk about some of the biggest uh, moments in military history. I believe, if I recall correctly, one year uh, was uh, the Battle of Iwo Jima. Um, from World War II, um, and they have military choppers fly in and actually land on the front stretch infield. Uh, they do a, a, a salute, a 21-gun salute. I mean, it, it, it brings chills to me, those memories of sitting in the grandstands watching that 
and it makes you feel a lot more connected and, and even even if just a little bit it, it makes you recognize the bigger picture right we love racing all of us whether it's indycar formula one nascar uh go-karts midgets quarter midgets sprint cars whatever it is we love racing but without the freedom that we have we wouldn't be able to race so freely and the people on the front lines who are giving their lives so we can do that that sacrifice is greater than everything and i remember in fact i believe it was uh, either david reagan or david gilliland one year i loved it so much on the windshield banner they ran the unknown soldier and i loved that i thought you know it's great to name off all the individual soldiers and to give them that night of recognition but with so many people n not being known for their sacrifice that one is probably my favorite that's ever been run of, of any windshield banner of any story that's been told from the nascar salutes program i think that one is the one that sticks out to me the most uh and i'm glad every year to see that return i'm glad to see that they still do this program for nascar salutes where they have the six or seven weeks over the summer they run the special decal on the sides of the cars they put up those windshield banners for the 600 and i'm especially glad because uh over the past few years the the schemes themselves have become a little lackluster i'm really glad to see those patriotic paint schemes stuart haas racing just uh put out uh three of them for briscoe harvick and almirola Last week, Hendrick Motorsports put out their four for all four of their drivers, uh, and I'm excited to see more as they come in, uh, and I'm excited to see them run the track. You know, the 600, uh, Josh, you alluded to this with the, the stage racing. It, it definitely has sucked away some of the strategy, but I, I'm a firm believer that there's still maneuverability within it. Um, you know, 2020, we had the tire strategy at the end for uh, that last two, three pit stops, really, the tire strategy that was implemented by some of the teams, ultimately leading to Brad Keselowski on older tires winning that race. Uh, in 2017, that was my first 600 uh, actually attending the race. I remember uh, Austin Dillon, um, uh, Justin Alexander, his crew chief at the time, employing that fuel mileage strategy. Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss leading that race. I mean, a lap and a half to go to run out of fuel. And to, to then only lead the last lap and a half of the race for Austin Dillon uh, and to go and capture that first win. I mean, there are so many moments we could go on and on about the 600. And I'm thrilled that it's that time of year. I'm thrilled that uh, I get to watch it in conjunction with the Indianapolis 500 and Monaco this year. I'm so excited. Um, you know, admittedly, F1 and Indianapolis and IndyCar racing are not something I'm super well versed on. I've definitely been getting a little bit more into IndyCar. I'm following it more, especially on Twitter and on other social media platforms. Uh, Formula One trying to do the same. It's a little harder with the start times uh, for me to track F1, but uh, I'm really excited. This weekend is going to be hopefully some of the best racing we see all year long. Certainly the longest day of motorsports in general. And uh, I, I'm I'm really excited. I, I'd love to be there for the Linyard Skinyard pre-race concert in Charlotte this year. But uh, I, I'm thrilled to, to be a part of this weekend in any capacity. Uh, so hopefully great things are going to come. Yeah, I hope so too. It's something that I've looked forward to. I mean, the oldest of the crew here on this show 
And my earliest memories of, I mean, for Monaco, it's simply Ayrton Senna. He's, you know, he's my one of my heroes. He won Monaco six times. He won Monaco. He was the first driver to run an active suspension car in 87. I wasn't watching it. I was two. But, you know, like in history going back, um, running in an active suspension car at Monaco, which ended up being the first of his six wins. In 88, the historic run where he qualified one over one second faster than Alan Prost, lost focus, crashed his car, walked back to his freaking left his car over there by the tunnel, Kyle Busch style, went and walked back to his apartment, and Joe Ramirez had to call him on the phone. He's crying because he gave away the race. Uh, came back and won the world championship, albeit now through all different points and people and get into it, whatever. But Senna basically won uh, from 1987 to 93 when every race stands won at Monaco. And, uh, you know, he, he was the king. Um, Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, then went on to continue the, his dominant, start his dominant uh, run, um, not only in a Benetton, but then also in Ferrari. But then other guys have won their first race there, like Yarno Trulli and Fisichella, I think, won his first race there. It might have been, yeah, it was Fisichella won his first race there. Uh, there. There's been people that have had their moments there. Lewis Hamilton, it hasn't been one of his greatest racetracks, considering how great he is, over 100 wins. He only has two or three in Monaco, but it's the it's the it's a classic. It's not a tier one circuit. Let's be honest. It's more about the glitz and glamour. Um, I think it's more of a Formula E circuit because of the speed and Formula E seems to put on a decent show there. Um, Formula One with these cars that are way long and really long and way too wide. I'm not sure what we're going to see this week. Um, probably going to see a max or stop and benefit. Uh, for those who are into that crap. Uh, but in regards to what the history of this race, I mean, it was in the movie Grand Prix. It's, you can see those races from the first year, from 1950. You know, you're winning on basically the same circuit that you know, Juan Manuel Fangio or Giuseppe Farina or, you know, insert driver from the past has run. You're, whether it's Mario Andretti or or, you know, James Hunt, or Prost, or Senna, Schumacher, or, I mean, Mansell, whoever. That's what makes it, I mean, and, you know, the fact there's just multi-billionaire yachts out there on the one side, and pools, and whatever, and, you know, women of all different ages that have had tons of work done, um, walking around the circuit, famous people of all different lives, whether it's in motorsports, or sports, or actors, or actresses, um, it's a race that, you know, you want to win. It's a major, it's something that you say you won Monaco. It matters even in the lower formula. If you win a Monaco, it matters. Um, you may not do jack crap the rest of your career, but you win Monaco. It has a thing. It's the, like, uh, Karun Chandok won at Monaco in F2, I believe. And, uh, that's his calling card in racing. Um, it means something and you know, like Stoffel Van Dorn celebrated a few weeks ago, winning the formula E race. And he's like, yeah, I just won Monaco. You know, he was in formula one, got dropped out of formula one. It means something. Uh, we'll see what happens this week, but those memories always stick with me. Um, Indianapolis is, it's just, uh, it's everything. Um, I get emotional up back home again in Indiana. I think about Jim neighbor singing it when he was leaving because of his health 
I was tearing up listening to him sing that song for the last time. Jim Cornelson does a great job with it. Um, and his voice is booming and it's insane. He could, you know, he could talk in a field of 10 million people and his voice could get through too. He's definitely a great person to come through. It's not the same, but I still love it because you know, the thing I love about back home again in Indiana is that's the last thing they sing back home again in Indiana. And then it's like 30 seconds. And then you're going to have what used to be ladies and gentlemen or lady and gentlemen or gentlemen, start your engines. Now it's drivers, start your engines in our time. Now we have to go and do that. I don't know. Um, you can do gentlemen, start your engines. There's 33 gentlemen that are driving this weekend. I don't think you're offending anybody, but um, that was a tradition. It used to be the, um, the Holman, Tony Holman, then his wife, then the daughter, then Tony George for a couple of years. And now Roger Penske gives us that command. I mean, all the, the pre-race stuff before that with the taps and all the stuff. I mean, it's tradition, which is what makes it so amazing. And it builds up that in, in anticipation. And you have all that pre, like it's one of the only pre-race shows in all in the whole year that actually has meaning. Because you have enough time to see all the pomp and pageantry of this of Memorial Day weekend and what it means and also what it means at Indianapolis and all these fans. And you get to build up the race itself with all these drivers, 33 drivers driving. Basically, you're driving airplanes into a gymnasium in a sense. I think they made that comparison to Bristol. But uh, it definitely is that way at Indianapolis when you're running 240 plus miles an hour in turn one, uh, like uh, Connor Daly did earlier um, this this month, and uh, other guys were getting there. And Scott Dixon, of course, qualifying on pole again yesterday uh, for a fifth time, which is insane. Um, shows one of the great. I mean, he's one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. And um, for me, Indianapolis, I mean, talking about Andretti, Spencer being from Nazareth, I was a Michael Andretti guy. Um, 92 will always bother me. It's That was the closest he ever got. Um, Should have won that race, but it ended up allowing one of the greatest finishes in the history of Indianapolis 500. It was one of the worst days in the Indianapolis 500 history. Um, Bobby G wrecking after qualifying the fastest four lap average one and four lap average crashing on the pace laps how many people got hurt that day jeff andretti was seriously injured that day the amount of crashes rick mears last indy 500 ended crashing with his teammate emerson fittipaldi um you know like there's and rick mears was just on the download talking about his crashes at indianapolis the last couple of years of his career and he's like well those were a part of it, but it wasn't the real reason why I decided to quit. And, you know, you think about a guy who had jacked up both of his feet and ankles um, in his heyday and still came back and won many IndyCar races, was the king of the 500-mile race win, and he was also the king of qualifying at Indianapolis. Um, Elio, like we go and bring it from back then, Mar Michael in 91 and 92, as the years went on, there's cool moments like Jacques Villeneuve in 95 winning the race in the second try coming from two laps down after finishing uh, high up the year before in his rookie year. Wins in 95, second in 94, thanks Spencer. Wins in 95, goes to Formula One and finishes second in the World Championship as a rookie 
in 96 and in 1997 becomes a Formula One world champion. Um, and then I remember him in 93 um, driving Toyota Atlantics with the mop of hair that he had and the huge Coke bottle glasses that him and Paul Tracy had, except Paul Tracy was like 200 pounds. Um, and, and Jacques Villeneuve was like 120, but, um, that was one, the 96, the split. It's funny. Cause I was on YouTube today and Bob Varsha trying to go and sell the U S 500 intro, um, to try to talk about the drama and all that. And it's like, I only got a few years with the best of it within that cart time. And then the split happened and, um, we got, Harry Lunatic getting the fastest four lap, one and four lap average ever. Um, but, you know, Buddy Lazier with a broken back winning that race. I was rooting for Davy Jones because he's a Northeast guy. But the Buddy Lazier story was pretty cool for a journeyman guy driving for a team that had been really an indie only team in Amalgarn racing, getting that win. And Buddy Lazier made a nice career for himself in the IRL. And that team and his wife's hot too, so it didn't hurt. Um, you know, Lu Harry Lunatic gets another pole in 97, wins that race, a goofy um, end to the race, which basically ended USAC's involvement. Um, I'm not going to mention 98 because he's a tool. Um, 99 was um, Kenny Breck after Robbie Gordon ran out of fuel for um, um, John Menard. He was trying to run the double that year, too. I think he failed to qualify for the 600. Um, and then in 2000, Juan Pablo, that's where I love that. I mean, I'm a Juan Pablo Montoya fan. And one of Robin Miller, rest in peace, God rest his soul, he goes and says, I went up to AJ and I asked him, how about that Montoya, what he did over there? He's like, well, that Monterrier, he's pretty good. So I've so he called, he would go and call Juan Pablo Montoya, Juan Pablo Monterrier, and he called him that until the end of his life. And um, I passionately call, as a fan, I call him Juan Pablo Monterrier, and it don't matter because he's still that good. And he'll tell you that. He'll tell you how good he is. And and he's got gray hair now. But he won the Indy 500. He destroyed in the year 2000 in that bucket of crap that they had him driving back in those days of g-force with a blowsmobile engine and then came back 15 years later and won it again uh, in an actual indy car um beating will pat winch power which made me very happy um and who knows maybe he can come from tailback and do it again he did well last year uh he was running top five in the indy road course uh, and uh crashed late and that farcical deal there but he had a good car and then uh, had uh, issues in tech and couldn't qualify in his usual regular spot, put him in the back. It's more fun for Juan Pablo Montoya to go and come through the back, uh, running LMP2 these days, but uh, with his son. But um, he's still got it. I mean, you go through all the years. The IRL years don't really um, stick out as much. I mean, a Dario winning, once Dario started winning there, it was really cool for me. Um, I was a fan of his. Um, he won three times, probably would have been the first international four-time winner if he hadn't had his serious accident at um, at Houston in 2013 and had to retire because he was so good at that racetrack. I mean, Dan Weldon probably could have gotten it too, to be fair, because he was a natural there. Um, 2011, watching J.R. Hildebrand hit the wall was so depressing, and I feel so bad for him. But he's the fact is... For that being your moment in your career that everybody remembers you for, J.R. Hildebrand has handled it with way more class 
and um, poison most people would have. And even with the fact that John Barnes threw him under the bus, which the karma came back to him really quick when National Guard left him for uh, Ray Hall Letterman landing in. Um, yeah, Dario winning, TK winning in 13 was really cool. Not a fan, but, you know, the guy is like a, a big fan favorite for a lot of other people. That's like Earnhardt, 20 years of trying, 20 years of frustration, same thing for Tony Kanaan. And then the next year, after Ryan Hunter Ray lost the race on the last restart, winning the race in that battle with Alio was was amazing. Um, battle of the yellow cars there. Uh, that was a great moment. And some of the races over the years, I mean, Juan Pablo. But yeah, the last year's race was unbelievable. Best race in a few years. And I hope for a similar race. I think it's going to be really good this year. And I hope for that. Hope for good weather. Um, the 600... I mean, Davey winning it before I really understood, you know, and then seeing Earnhardt win it in 93, 94 was a historic moment. Uh, Jeff Gordon going and winning his first race, crying like a little bitch um, in victory lane, um, then going and stealing the Brickyard 400 after Ernie Irvin cuts a tire down coming off of two um, with a few laps to go. Uh, one of the many close calls Ernie had that year before. Um, but yeah, Jeffy going and getting his first of what ended up being five Brickyard 400 wins in his career. So he and Michael Schumacher are the all-time winners at Indianapolis. Nobody really mentions that because it's kind of taboo. You have the four-time Indy 500 winners, which is the record that everyone really focuses on, which is what made Elio's win so big um, and got Michael Shank drunk for at least a a month. Um, but yeah, Jeff Gordon, seeing him win his first race and Bobby Labonte the next year was big for two guys that came in together basically from the Bush series to the cup series. And then from there over the years, you had different guys like so Jeff Burton. Um, I mean, I always remember 99 and 01 because Tony ran the double. Tony was completely unprepared, finished seventh at Indy in 99 in his own car Went to the 600, had a great car because Bobby always was good at the SMI tracks. They had a great car. He was puking by the end of the damn race or whatever the hell. He couldn't keep food down, whatever. And um, passed out, getting out of the car after finishing fourth. Had a chance to win his first career race there. Um, And so that would have been huge. Then in 2001, he had the fastest car at the end of the race, but he had too much ground to make up. Finished third. Had a great post-race interview. Burton won the race, but it was a great job by him after running really well for Ganassi, um, finished sixth um, in the Indy 500. Last run didn't go his way there, um, the closest he would have gotten to that. And, I mean, I bring up 07 and 08. Those are two other close calls, should have won that race. Tony's luck in the big races was never there, except at Indy, finally, when he got his two Brickyard 400 wins. But... Brad winning in 2020 was really cool. Um, I think that was more to do with the fact that Hendrick handed it to him with uh, Clyde and them, but I'll take it. Um, Other than that, I mean, it's a lot of the fuel mileage, seeing people win their first race. uh, That there was a lot of drama with that. I mean, the Earnhardt one was interesting. I'm like, oh, here we go. Oh, Junior Nation, they're about to go off. It's going to be funny. And then, by golly, they didn't have enough fuel, and Harvick just ran right by him. I'm like, oh, boy, this ain't going to work out too well. Look, Kevin um, Harvick should not have won that race. They 
he he got a push from Paul Menard under caution, and not supposed to. It was not supposed to happen. All right. Well, I mean, Harry Gant went and pushed, or Rick Mass pushed Harry Gant back in '92 at Talladega during the Winston 500, and they didn't penalize that. So there's precedence, even when it's June bug. Um, if handsome Harry, if it works for handsome Harry, then. It's got to work for Happy Harv, but yeah, I mean the uh, the memories of the six hundred are the the pageantry and all that, and I did, but it was more the difficulty of the race and how you had to last and you had to make it work for six hundred miles, and hopefully we'll have a good one. It's it's been a while since there's been a good one, so um, we didn't really get a good example of good racing this past weekend. I think if it fits more like what we had at Kansas, might have an intriguing 600 for the first time in a while. So, yeah, I mean, that's some of the memories. And I guess let's get in in regards to the current day and thinking about what we're going to have this weekend. um, You know, I guess initial thoughts of what we'll see. I guess um, for Josh, I'm going to throw to you first to lead. And then we'll just go through the same order. But Spencer, of course, you'll do your Indy uh, 500 stuff. Joe, you'll talk about the 600. And um, I can finish with a little bit of F1. But, um, you know, this weekend we have competitive. We have a very tight points battle in Formula One for the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors going into Monaco. Mercedes finally looks like they have a possibility to compete. Um, they have good the good car for the first time this year. So there's something to be said, which I'll get into in a little bit. But Josh, um, Indy 500 practice today was intense. Um, Dalton Kellett wiped out. Um, so they're going to have a lot of work to do going to carb day on Friday. But the other 32 cars made it through clean. Ganassi's fast. Sato's fast. The, I mean, the coin cars have been fast all, all month. Um, but it looks like there's other cars that seem to have good pace and race pace and ability, drivability. And then in the 600, we're building up. We kind of have to use what we saw at other cookie cutters so far this year as a as a preface versus what we saw um, yesterday um, to build up towards that. So, I mean, in regards to we're going from memories and great moments to what can we see this weekend or what should we be looking for this weekend amongst the greatest day in motorsports events? Yeah, I think you know, starting off with the 500, the Indy 500. Um, I think you know it's going to depend a lot on, uh, I think the the car's ability to draft and um, you know how close can they race amongst each other. You know, with uh, the aero screen, um, it's been I don't want to say hit or miss, but uh, they you know the aero screen has caused some difficulty um, with being able to pass. And I think if it's like last year if you know the uh the weather is um you know on sunday is good enough um i think you know we should have a pretty entertaining race um i think you know you mentioned ganassi's been really fast uh which you know, obviously not surprising but i think it's kind of surprising you know haven't really heard or had a lot of noise from penske um you know we've had will power made it to fast 12 in qualifying um but you know, the rest of Penske, I mean, McLaughlin hasn't really uh, shown too much uh, speed so far this month. Newgarden, you know, today, sixth place, 
uh, first among the Chevys in, in practice, but uh, fairly quiet in qualifying, I think, uh, for him. Um, but I, I do find it kind of surprising that, you know, Dale Coyne Racing, obviously with our friends at Wick, uh, Rick Ware, you know, they've been fast uh, so far this month uh, at Indy with Takuma Sato. And then, um, you know, the other car, David Lucas, number 18, um, being sneaky fast as well. So I think those cars, yeah, definitely have a chance to win. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, all all their cars, I think, have a, a chance, uh, you know, to compete in the top 10, potentially win, I think, with especially with uh, Renus VK. Definitely, I think he has, a, if it's not going to be a, a Chevy or, or if it's not going to be a Honda or a Ganassi car, I think uh, the 21 has a chance at winning the 500. Uh, definitely have a, a fast car, a very strong car. Um, of course, uh, one of their cars could have won last year if it didn't hit the tire. Connor Daly, you know, if he didn't hit the tire flying off Graham Rahel's car, could have won last year. Um, so I, I think, you know, they're going to bring back some of the notes, I guess, you know, from last year and build upon that. And I think, you know, those ECR cars definitely are fast in traffic. Uh, and definitely they have a lot of a lot of pace that um, we'll have to see if they can bring it out on Sunday, if they can lead laps uh, throughout the uh, the race and have the right strategy. They definitely are a threat. So, you know, I think, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson, definitely, I think he's probably, you know, one of the wild cards in this race. Um, well, we have to see, you know, his ability, uh, to, you know, pass on the outside, pass on the inside, uh, if needed, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be a, uh, tough to be able to get a run and be able to make it to the inside. You know, we saw a highlight of him in practice trying to make an attempt uh, to pass his teammate and got to the outside but just didn't have enough uh, to be able to clear him on, you know, going into turn three and had to back out of it. So, uh, but then, you know, later on he was able to make the same move in turn one and actually complete the pass. So um, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, if he can, how well he can adapt to um being able to make those kind of moves and then also keeping up with the track changes throughout the day, you know, using the tools like we talked about with uh, the, you know, the anti-roll bars in the front and back and the the weight jacker and everything. And then, of course, you know, managing your fuel with the engine mapping, a lot of challenges uh, that uh, come into being able to not only just win the Indy 500, but just to, you know, be up there and be, be competitive in uh, the, you know, top 10, top you know, five, the podium or whatever. So there's a lot for Jimmy Johnson uh, that he's going to go have to go up against that he didn't really have to face in NASCAR uh, running here at uh, Indianapolis and everything. And then I think, you know, for the 600, it's um it's going to be interesting, I think, you know, with uh, the way that the mile-and-a-half racing has played out. And, um, you know, we've seen kind of how they have raced at night on a mile-and-a-half with Texas, but Texas is unique because, you know, of course they – they ruined the track surface with the PJ1, aka the rip strip, and the the banking, of course, is different in two you know two ends of the racetrack, and one side being flatter than the other. The um, everything everything about it is wrong, I think, and we don't have to get into it too much. But for races like Texas at night, uh, I mean, it's gonna you know again continue the trend of the 600 not really having all that compelling racing. But then you know if we get something like what we've seen at Kansas or at uh, Las Vegas uh, earlier this year, uh, the mile and a half. So then maybe we'll, we'll have a really good race to watch. Uh, a lot of passing, you know, a lot of um, uh, fight for the lead, that kind of thing. Uh, make it compelling. Um, bring back in some strategy. That could definitely uh, make the 600 a lot more entertaining to watch than what it has been in the past couple of years. And we have to see what, you know, what happens. But you know, expect, expect the Hendrick cars to be up there. Gibbs and 
uh, probably, you know, Penske to be up there. So it's going to be an interesting race for sure. Um, and, you know, if it comes down to it and we get uh, fuel mileage, you know, hopefully um, they're able to let it play out and everything. And, you know, NASCAR doesn't throw a stupid caution like they did uh, last night at, at Texas. And they don't try to milk the finish and try to provide some fake artificial drama or whatever. But they actually let the strategy play out. You know, as long as there's no actual um, safety issues, of course, you know, if the car pounds the wall and they're stopped, you know, you have to throw a caution for that. But, you know, if it's like just slapping the wall barely like Ricky Stenhouse did in the all-star race last night, that does not warrant a caution, I think. So they definitely should not throw the caution just to milk the finish or whatever and, uh, provide an exciting finish. But, you know, it's, um, it's going to be an exciting race, I think, uh, for both 500 and, and the 600, but, you know, just, you know, ready to watch, uh, for both of them. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think we can go off on tirades about how bad uh, yesterday's action was at Texas, um, but I've been outspoken about my um, dislike for that dump for years. I think Joe and I got in and started joking around about what we should do if we were allowed to take Texas Motor Speedway. It's like if somebody would give me, uh, if I would win one of the mega millions, I think one of the first things I would do is go to Bruton Smith and see if I could buy Texas Motor Speedway because then I would just go and put affordable housing up um, and uh, make the place more useful because it's definitely not a good racetrack. It's not good for IndyCar, not good for NASCAR. I mean, it's not for good, good for anything. Um, I don't even think it'd be good for bumper cars or or uh, the demolition. It'd probably be good for demolition derby. That's probably what it should be used for. Or it should you just raise livestock or cattle there or something because it is shit so you could go and have them shit all over the racetrack um it would be good i would kind of like to see that i i've never liked that place i can't come up with a race that wasn't like an in irl kind of you know pack racing deal that was good i mean that's literally what it is you need to have cars that are really similar in speed or trucks very similar in speed with with high downforce that are all stuck together I think that's where it's like the one memorable finish that I can have from Texas was when Graham almost gave away the race a few years ago, raising his hand out of his cockpit and almost lost to Hinch, who dominated. I think it was 2020, 2019, whatever. That was the race, or, or no, 2017, 17, yeah. That was when Graham was at 16, yeah, when Graham was actually good. Um, and... Uh, that was after Joseph Newgarden, almost him and Connor had a huge crash like months before and they had to cancel the race. And then Newgarden came back the next week at Iowa and led like 230 laps or something of that 250 lap or 200 plus lap. That was a race that Roger Penske is like, yeah, I should hire that guy. If it wasn't in, in the cards, I think he hired him after that. He was hurt, had a busted wrist and he goes and dominates at Iowa Speedway. Um, which is why Joseph Newgarden is trying to possibly go and win in Indianapolis and, and guarantee himself lifetime um, lifetime uh, contract at Penske because that's literally what you if you well Pagano proved that wrong and I guess Alio did but uh, Spencer speaking of the Indy 500 let's throw to you I mean I'm looking at practice speeds we're getting you know they don't give like reports like 10 lap average or any of that maybe you get that on your end but um, I mean, Connor Daly has a fast car on the straightaways. Takuma's had a good car with, in the draft. But when it comes to this race, I mean, it's, 
you know, Scott Dixon. I think we the initial storyline is going to be, can Scott Dixon finally get number two? You know, it, he's won this one time in 2008. He dominated that race, qualified on pole that, that year too. But he's been close. He's been up front so many times. He's had weird crap happen to him in recent years. On pit road last year, he had issues on pit road. A couple of years ago, it was um, what's his face um, that was um, driving for uh, Ed, uh, Tony Stewart and um, I think it was uh, Schmidt and them. Howard. Jay yeah. Howard and he bounced off the car. Yeah, and thank you, and and bounced off the wall, and then Scott Dixon took off, and that was a huge wreck. You know, there's been weird stuff, but it's like, what are you looking at? I mean, you've been here the whole month, been seeing things. The qualifying was epic. Uh, some of the saves, like Jimmy Johnson had to make, Sato hitting the wall, staying in it because he's nuts. Um, I mean, uh, the I mean, he's a two-time Indy 500 winner. There's a reason why he has fans all over the world. Uh the guy is not stable. Um, the, he is working at a different level. He's been working at a different level for two over two decades. He's been doing this kind of crap in lower formula cars. He did it in Formula One, and now he gets to do it for Indy cars, and he might give Rick Ware uh, an Indy 500 win, which would be something, I'll tell you. If Rick Ware wins an Indy 500, that might go in reverse uh, inflation, I'll tell you. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, first off, I kind of want to um, just say something personal off of what Joe said. Um, this past weekend, I know it was Armed Forces Day, and it was Armed Forces qualifying at the Speedway. Um, the Speedway has their traditional enlistment ceremony, and, you know, these it's like that kind of have some personal meaning to me. I've got a cousin currently um, deployed in the Marines. My grandfather, who passed away when I was pretty young, um was in the Marines during World War II. Um, so there's extra meaning to that for me, as I'm sure there are a lot of people. So special shout out to them and to everybody and then their families who are serving overseas. Um, I did hear, I it was earlier on in practice today, but you know I still heard over the uh, PA that the best 10 or 15, maybe both lap average was J.R. Hildebrand, who that patriotic... Uh, Homes for our troops, seen with ABC Supply. ABC Supply. Um, <clears throat> oh, back to the patriotic theme that Joe and Josh have kind of touched on. Um, you know, but you're right. You know, you're looking at Scott Dixon as a possible favorite. He's been really fast all week. You know, set the pole track record, whatever you want to call it. Um, excuse me. You know, you had Polo finish second last year and then now he's starting second you had vk lead qualifying and now he's starting third for the second year in a row got erickson in fifth and Kanan in sixth and johnson in 12th kind of leading that ganassi i don't even know which i'm gonna call it that ganassi brigade for lack of a better term um <clears throat> you know, penske cars were a little surprising i know mclaughlin was kind of mid-pack and then he decided to pull his time and ended up falling back rossi fell back a few spots when he did the same thing. So, like I said earlier, I, there's part of me that wouldn't be surprised if Dixon kind of, you know, dominates and runs away with this thing in a bit of laughter, a laugher. Um, but, you know, it could be, it's things, you know, we've had one of the most competitive eras probably ever 
know, if not the most competitive era ever. So skating could be pretty wide open. Um, just a kind of a dorky stat, but you know, I'm kind of, would kind of be fascinating to see Daly win because he's starting 18th and that is the only starting spot in the top two thirds of a traditional 33 car field that has never produced a winner. You've had winners like Haroon and Meyer from 28th in 1911 and 36. Um, see what other spots haven't, but I know that that spot for, you know, and, you know, of course it probably doesn't mean as much as I'm pretending or acting like it does, but it's still just fascinating because, um, you know, it's a spot that, you know, there's been winners from 16, 17. Yeah. But just, you know, Weldon was one of, I think three guys to finish, Second after starting 18th, and that was back in 2010. So yeah, for uh, for the whatever. Oh, by the way, am I forgetting? Is Panther Racing? Yeah, yeah. Um, Connor yeah, needs uh, Connor needs a new pool because we still haven't figured out who jacked up his pool. They I'm, said Dalton said that Doug Bowles is you know Connor's stepdad is helping clean it up. Yeah, um, well. Doug yeah. Bowles is the man at Indianapolis and is also well, a yeah. stepdad, but th- that doesn't mean we we have to find out who did this. That's the well, most intriguing story outside of the race. That I don't who know. jacked up his pool. Uh, Callum Eilat's been in way too many pictures. There's. Been I honestly think it's been. Alexander Rossi. I'm under the suspicion it's Alexander Rossi or Tony Kanon. It's one of those two. There's people that think Connor did it to himself, which I. I wouldn't be surprised by, but I find that hard to believe. Um, there, Self-sabotage there was... for Connor Daly? Like, his car isn't that good. Like, he hasn't even been at the same pace as his teammates. Why is he self-sabotaging himself? Um, yeah. I, I've got nothing to do with anything, I promise. Um, there was, I don't know if you guys saw this, but somebody messed, you know, they, something happened with one of the graphics, and on Kyle Kirkwood's, it got changed to Kirk Kirkwood. So I made the joke to somebody. I'm like, oh, oh I did must, see that. That must be the guy who's pulling all the pranks. I guess I'm Kirk. That's what he tweeted out yeah. after that. <laughs> so we may have to start uh, hashtag blame Kirk Kirkwood. Yeah, well, he's going to be Kirk Kirkwood when he goes over to Andretti Autosport next year, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, this race, a there's a lot to dig into with this race. There's so many intriguing storylines. Uh, going on. I don't think we're going to be able to do it service tonight. I think I want to bring us back to do it again. I wanted to go and kind of get into the memories of it because of all these races, because they mean so much. And just because of our being able to to honor the veterans, the past, the, the veterans that are not here with us, and even the veterans that are still with us. Yes, we have Veterans Day in November, but it's a time to go and celebrate those who are giving their service and serving for us. And um, Joe, we've been working on uh, all this new car, having different growing pains with it. Six hundred miles, longest race that we're going to have in a year in this year, of course, with four one hundred lap segments. But the strain is going to be there. A little bit of shifting, possibly, but I, who knows. Uh, it's something to look at with this car. We've had the good at 
certain tracks like Vegas and Kansas, we've had the bad, like last week and, and other night races, to be honest, which makes me think that the last segment and a half is not going to be great. But the early part of the race should be. And it could really, and if people miss their setup, there's races over recent years. Like if you miss your setup, you're out to lunch, you lose a lap or two laps, you lose two laps, it's game over. There's no, you can't have enough cautions for that. But um, you you can lose a lap really quick at Charlotte if you're off. And, um, and I think that's something we have to look at this weekend. I mean, that practice session, Joe, coming up uh, Saturday afternoon is going to be huge. That and qualifying. Um, uh, what are you thinking, at least your initial thoughts for the 600 very early in the week? But um, with this car, after what we saw yesterday, what are you thinking for the 600 here um, this coming weekend? Sure. So, you know, I'm going to be honest. I really wouldn't use the all-star race last night as an indication of the 600. Now, I could be proven wrong, but I wouldn't necessarily say just because Texas is a mile and a half and just because Charlotte's a mile and a half, they're racing at night. I I don't know that's enough for me to buy into the fact that we're maybe not looking at a good 600. Um, I'm excited, actually, to see what this car uh, can do because over the past uh, number of years, uh, we've actually seen more dominant performances in the 600 probably than ever before. 2016, Martin Truex Jr. leads all but what? 12 miles of the race, the most dominant performance in NASCAR 394, history. 394, 400 laps. Yeah. Yep. So it's all and, of six laps. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, the two years later, in uh, in his Toyota, Kyle Busch leading what 350 laps, and then last year another dominant performance, Kyle Larson leading over 300 laps. Uh, you know, really, it it is a troubling pattern. But we've also seen then, you know, the 2020 600 where you know Bowman was out for a few hundred laps, Elliott had the better of the field for a little bit. Uh, Logano was up there and ultimately Brad Keselowski winning had the 2017 600. So this race is really all over the place. You get some races in past years where uh, it's been all over. You have a lot of leaders and then you have some where uh, one team, one car is just so good day in and day out and or I guess day out and night in rather uh, where they just dominate and it's like nobody can hold a candle to them. Uh, so it, it really, I don't know what we're going to see in that sense this year, just because that seems to really fluctuate. And obviously it depends on uh, the car that the teams bring. Uh, I do have a little bit of concern around the Coke 600, uh, particularly around the tires. We have seen uh, quite a few tire issues this season at a variety of racetracks, not just mile and a half. Um, the last two weeks in particular at Kansas, there were a handful of tire issues. And then uh, last night at the All-Star Race, again, a handful in a much shorter race. Now, uh, you know, at one point this year, it was it was seemingly almost like these tires didn't wear as much. Um, these tires seem to not wear a whole lot and then fall off a cliff so much so to the point where it may be problematic. Um, and, you know, in, in a sense, this may be good, actually, that this race is broken up into four stages. Because, the, I mean, you're going to have to pit every stage. Most stages, you're probably going to run between 40 to 60 laps tops. Um, and in fact, I would imagine, uh, you know, because of the past few weeks, teams may decide to be uh, a little conservative and try to split up the stages as equally as possible uh, to get right on that 50 lap mark. 
uh, and try not to to push the life of the tire too much. Um, you know, Charlotte though tends to be a little bit uh, not as high wear as some other tracks have been. But again, new tire, you don't know what is to be expected with it. Um, passing, passing in past years has been an issue with the 600. Uh, it was certainly an issue last year. Uh, at the end of the race, it was seeming almost like uh, you had two cars that could pass. While that one was Kyle Larson, who could pass the lap traffic, and Kyle Busch, who spoiled a potential, another Hendrick 1-2-3-4 there late in the race. Um, you know, so passing, I would be a little concerned about, but, you know, again, we've seen some really positive things out of this next-gen car, especially at the likes of Las Vegas. Uh, so it, it's very possible that that's not an issue anymore. Um, the other thing, and, and this is not, I want to make it clear, this is not something I, I'm concerned about in particular to the next-gen car, but just in general, this is a concern I think every team has when you come to the 600 every year, is the life of the car, right? Adding that last 100, 200 miles from your normal race weekend, like I alluded to earlier, that's a lot of extra strain. These engines, these cars, they're not designed to run, you know, the, the 150 to 200,000 miles that the car is in your driveway, right? These cars are meant to run maybe four to five, if you're lucky, six races tops. The engines certainly are not going to last six races. I mean, it, it's these cars are built per, for performance, not longevity. And sometimes that's how teams have won this race is by finding the best balance between the longevity and the performance of these cars. Uh, sometimes it's not won that way. Sometimes it is. So really, I think what I'm getting at is, is that there may be a lot of unknowns heading into this weekend. We can base things off past years. We can base things off past weeks, what we've seen. But at the end of the day, we're not going to know until the cars hit the track. Are there outlying concerns? Absolutely, there are concerns after what we've seen uh, the past week. Uh, but you know what? It's I, I always say it's best to try to learn from it. Hopefully, uh, the, over the course of this season, we can learn a lot about the tires, how they wear, maybe what exactly is uh, happening that sometimes makes these tires not last very long, um, and that can be fixed. The 600, uh, as far as, you know, if we want to get a little more factually based, uh, historically, at least for the last uh, decade and, and change, it has only been won by a handful of teams. Hendrick has won uh, a few of them, Penske's won a few of them, and Gibbs has won a few of them. Uh, Childress is probably the name that I think would surprise a lot of people. Childress, in the past 12 years, is the only other team, I mean, you have Furniture Row Racing in 2016, but really it was a Gibbs-prepared car with the, the alliance that they had. Um, I consider it at least pretty much a Gibbs win. But uh, Richard Childress Racing, you know, it, the past few years they've struggled, but they have some good history in the last decade at this uh, race. Harvick won two of them, 2011 and 2013. Austin Dillon won it in 2017. So it's been a few years, but it's still possible that they can break through or that another team can break through. And that's, I think, part of the nice thing about having the 600, that extra 100 miles, uh, is that it sometimes allows for something unexpected to happen in that last uh, stretch of the race. Uh, I, I would say, though, definitely for sure, if you're making bets, uh, you're probably going to bet Joe Gibbs Racing or Hendrick Motorsports. Team Penske is 
been all right. They've kind of been hot and then not uh, this season. They had a bad race at Dover. Uh, last week, they had a really good race at Texas. Um, so, you know, they've been a little bit more inconsistent. Uh, Hendrick has been really good from the start of the year. But it seems like in the past few weeks, Gibbs has really found something. And they're becoming a really big threat. I know they had a rocky start to the season, all four of those cars. But Amlin won at Richmond. And ever since then, they've been getting a little bit better each week. We had Kyle get into the win at Bristol. I mean, really, I think Kyle Busch had the car to beat before the accident happened uh, this past weekend. Uh, no, I don't think anybody was going to hold a candle to him. Uh, he was going to start first in the, that last segment, and I think that would have been it. Um, Truex has been slowly getting quieter. He's been moving up the points a little. Bell has made a lot of ground in the points over the past few weeks. There was one point where he was in almost the mid-20s, uh, and he is now in playoff contention without a win. Uh, and then, of course, you have Kyle Busch, who I think is really, for right now, kind of leading the charge at Joe Gibbs Racing. He's very high up in points. Uh, he's a proven winner. He, he's won this race before in dominating fashion. Uh, I expect him to be a contender on Sunday. And then Denny Hamlin. Hamlin's never won the 600. Uh, this could be an opportunity for him to capture another crown jewel. He's got wins at Talladega, at Daytona, in the Southern 500. Uh, this could be his opportunity to capture maybe that last crown jewel that's missing Man. from a, a really stellar career. So uh, I would actually pick this weekend, believe it or not. I think I would pick Gibbs over uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick's mile and a half program this year seems to be subpar to that of Joe Gibbs Racing. I think Joe Gibbs Racing has just caught a lot of really bad breaks. But, uh, you know, only time will tell. But I, I would pick Joe Gibbs Racing. I would probably take uh, Kyle Busch or Denny Hamlin to, to go ahead and win this race. Uh, but it, it's going to be exciting. I'm really excited just overall uh, for the race to see the patriotic paint schemes, all the things we talked about earlier. Before I hand it back over to you, I want to, to all my NASCAR fans, to all the fans out there listening, I want to I wanna plug the Indy 500 this year. Jimmy Johnson has been showing some good speed and practices, was showing good in qualifying, made a really great save. If you're a NASCAR fan and you've only casually watched the Indy 500, or if you've never watched the Indy 500, this is the year that you're going to want to watch it because we're going to want to see how well Jimmy Johnson, the seven-time champion coming over from stock car racing, does in open wheel's biggest day. Uh, I don't know, truthfully, if he can win. I think maybe experience uh, and his lack thereof in an IndyCar at this track may get him. But it'll be interesting to see if he can use anything from his four Brickyard wins in NASCAR and uh, maybe have a successful day in IndyCar. Yeah, it's something I am venturing to think that there's going to be a lot of Jimmy coverage uh, based on what we've seen Dale Jr. Download as a special series now that's literally focused on Jimmy Johnson and his IndyCar career. You have a hit on the NBC YouTube page with him and Blake Shelton in regards to the American Legion. You have the talk about him during practice, and he has shown great pace. He's in one of the Ganassi cars. He had a great run at the Texas dump. His best career finish. There's going to be, if you're not fond of Jimmy Johnson, it's going to be tough for you. But if you're a NASCAR person, 
you're a Jimmy Johnson fan, if you're just just the fact of the matter is you have Miss Hummer on the broadcast, so you know she's going to talk about him, and Dale Jr. is going to be on there. You have Dale Jarrett's going to be there. So you have all the NASCAR people there. You know they're all going to talk about Jimmy Johnson. But And probably Dale Jr. is going to mention Root Beer Floathead as well because he's probably going to go run up there too in his one-off this year. Uh, if you don't know that reference, that's Santino Ferrucci. Um, his stupid hairdo looks like a root beer float, and he's a douche. But um, he's really good at 500-mile at races. He's really good at these oval races. Um, and the way it looks, the and um, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan might have been better off hiring him or um, Oliver Askew instead of Jack Harvey for the high V car. But um, let's get into, I mean, I'm just going to go briefly before we we end this one today, um, hoping to get into more in-depth previews because I don't want to make this like a three-hour deal talking to other people. It seems like that's not the deal, not the most ideal scenario. I don't want to keep everybody. Probably can start things a little earlier. Maybe we can go on later on in the week. But just for Formula One, Josh, of course, um, you can chime in accordingly i mean first stop in three wins in a row four wins on the season six points out of leclerc going to leclerc's home in monaco he's had horrible luck at monaco um he crashed a historic ferrari due to a brake fail brake rotor failing um to add to his um terrible luck there last year he put it on pole and then crashed at the swimming pool complex couldn't even race uh, he needs to put one together this weekend to recover the points lead, but I have a hard time believing that that's going to happen. I think what we saw yesterday was the beginning of the end, at least until Mercedes is able to solve their fully solve their issues that they've had because George Russell has done a great job this year uh, driving that car that's a piece of crap. Um, and only be 11 points behind Sergio Perez for three points. Um, Lewis, of course, um, getting into this race. Uh, and it's been a struggle all year for him. But um, he's he's a former winner there. He's a former three-time winner of the Monaco Grand Prix. Or four-time, yeah, three, yeah, three-time, yeah. Three-time winner, 2008, my favorite one, was the year, his first win, uh, the year he won the world championship. And he's also won in 16 and 19. Verstappen's only won this race once. Uh, Ricardo, Vettel, Weber, Vettel's won this race twice. Weber won it twice. Um, a lot of different guys. Juan Pablo Monterrier won this race in 2003. Uh, was really good there. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting at Monaco this weekend for sure. Um, We'll get into it more uh, in depth in the preview, though, but uh, later on this week. But I think there's a lot more intrigue for this Monaco Grand Prix than we might have had prior to yesterday's race. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's been a lot of intrigue into it. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, with... Charles Leclerc, maybe he used up all his bad luck. Of course, you know, he crashed in the Monaco uh, Classic Grand Prix a couple weeks ago. Maybe um, maybe he's going to have a little bit better luck this time than what he's had in the last couple of years. So definitely think Ferrari's going to be up there 
for sure. I think if they win the poll, one of them, you know, if it's Carlos Sainz or, you know, more than likely Charles Leclerc, if they win the poll, more than likely they're probably going to win the race. And that goes for anybody that wins the poll, whether it's Lewis or Max or Charles Leclerc. So I think any of those guys could, uh, if they win, they're going to win the poll or, you know, win the race as well. Um, just because of how Monaco, how it's, it's so tough to pass, you know, especially, I mean, with these cars, it's a little bit different, but it's also, you know, one of the, the tightest circuits and we've never really seen this car. I mean, we won't know until, uh, practice later in, uh, you know, the week, uh, whether or not they're going to be able to overtake or not. And yeah, the, their ability to be able to overtake, uh, just cause, um, you know, we've seen it being able to overtake on, you know, the circuits and some of the street races that we've had so far, but, you know, we have not seen anything like, uh, like this, uh, yet this type of circuit, um, so it's going to be a tough, uh, you know, I think it's still going to be a tough day for passing and uh, overtaking and all that sort of thing. Um, so, if, you know, if anything, it's going to come down to possibly pit strategy with uh, if you're going to try to overtake. Um, I mean, so it's going to come down to that. If uh, Ferrari is able to execute the perfect pit strategy, then obviously they would win. And you know, I think, you know, with Red Bull, um, as long as um, they give Max Verstappen a reliable car, he certainly has a chance at winning. And, you know, with the, I mean, he's had struggles recently in, in qualifying, but he's been able to uh, come back up and, you know, win races. And like we've seen the past couple of weeks, he's, you know, been able to win and now he has the points lead. Um, so I think I'm going to lean Ferrari here, but, you know, I think, um, Red Bull definitely they have a chance, and of course you know with uh, Mercedes continuing to improve their cars, uh, we could we could see you know George Russell or Lewis Hamilton be up there competing for a podium if they're not able to uh, compete for a win. So it should be an uh, interesting uh, race there. Um, and again, I think um, whoever whoever wins pole is going to probably win the race more than likely. Fault on that there, but yeah, it's going to be interesting Thursday. They'll have practice. They can't practice at Monaco on Fridays. That's always been the case. So there will be practice on Thursday this week. Uh, two practice sessions. Of course, you'll have Formula Two running. No Formula Three. They're taking basically a month and a half break or whatever or so before they go to the British Grand Prix. Um, not sure who else will be on the the undercard there for. Monaco, but we'll find out at least initially in terms of pace, one lap pace, what people have. I don't think the racing is going to be great because it's their cars are longer and wider than they've ever been. Uh, now the downforce with the diffuser and all that, and porpoising isn't whatever. I don't think porpoising will be as big of a deal, essentially because the track is so small. Um, just to give a little pretense, a little the subtext to it kind of going like Spencer would in depth into the stats. Now, thanks to racing reference on this, uh, since there hasn't been a winner outside of the top three qualifying spots in the Monaco Grand Prix since Olivier Panis's, uh, 1996 win, which of course is one of the craziest, uh, formula races ever, ever, where I think only four cars finished were actually classified as finishing the race or some crap. There was like eight total cars that were on the racetrack at the end of the 96 Monaco Grand Prix. Um, every top driver had a chance to win it and they fell out or had something happen. Ended up being Panis's only win and the last win for Liget. Uh He started 14th that day. And in my life, basically, 
So in the last 37 years, um, only twice has somebody came from outside of uh, the top three. Alan Prost won in 1985, part of his three in a row, and four out of five that he had um, starting in 1984. And, you know, you go back even that K.K. Rosberg in 83, Depay 78, Jean-Pierre Beltois in 72, fourth. So you have to go back. It's like basically since 1970, there's only been, what is it, three, four, five occurrences of somebody outside of the top three or 70. It's a 71 race. Only five occurrences of somebody outside of the top three. So leg- legitimately, you have to qualify on the front row. You really want to qualify on pole, but definitely get in the top three. If you're outside of that, call it a day. You're just racing for points um, and don't crash. Um, that's something that we're going to see, but we'll get more into it. Um, hopefully later in the week, trying to coordinate it so we can give in-depth previews. Want to keep these things tight. Um, all three races deserve their time in their own right. And then also we have to get into what took place this past week. And I guess before we go for tonight, I'll, I'll, I'll call it the hot take segment um, before we go. So I'll reverse I'll reverse it here. Joe, I'll throw to you first in regards to what we had to deal with at Texas yesterday, um, Spencer, and then Josh before I finish, and then we'll get into the show close for today. I mean, that wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> 90% negative result on Jeff Gluck's poll uh, on was it a good race. I mean, I don't know if there's a such thing as a good race at Texas, really, but I'm biased. Um, the fans have fun when you go there, even though you have to probably pay like the same amount as people who are at Southern Hills had to pay for for Michelob Ultra uh, to watch Justin Thomas win the second major. Um, $18 for Michelob Ultra is ridiculous, but that's what the people had to pay at Southern Hills. Um, I would have... If I was Mito Pereira, I'd have probably went and spent about 180 bucks after I gave away a three-shot lead in the final round of a major. But what were your takes on uh, this past weekend? Stewball actually uh, won a truck series race. So for his 12 fans, uh, his fa- truck fans, because I know he has plenty of fans in the modified ranks and all that, um, he's in the playoff. But um, Texas wasn't that great. Yeah, it uh... – I, I thought the Xfinity Series race was uh, definitely, I think, the most lively. Truck Trucks had some passing. Um, you know, they would get a little strung out, it would seem. Truthfully, actually, I wasn't too attentive to this week's trucks. Uh, I had it on my phone while I was in quarantine, and I was sorting out part of my diecast collection that I'm getting ready to sell. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was a little more attentive to Xfinity, um, certainly attentive to Cup. Uh, Xfinity, it seemed like you could pass. Less tire issues, um, but still even in the Xfinity with uh, the low downforce and all the problems that uh, can rise because of the low downforce, pretty hard to pass. And it really, since they reconfigured Texas, it seems like that's been the biggest thing is that no matter what series that runs, no matter what package that runs, it's really hard to pass unless the driver you've just passed made a mistake that allowed you to pass them. Um Junior Motorsports was really strong all day in that Xfinity race. Uh, just some problems late in the race. No Gregson uh, getting involved in a wreck. Allgaier have a tire go down. Uh, Barry, again, involved in a wreck. 
really, I, I thought Junior Motorsports, it was their race to lose. They did so well the first two stages. Um, and unfortunately, just circumstances kept them out of the way. But I'll hand it to them. I'm really impressed that Barry and Allgaier were able to recover as well as they did. I believe Allgaier finished uh, fifth and Barry seventh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so the drive from the back uh, shows that, you know, if you have a good enough car, there is passable, there is opportunity to pass. Uh, but still, it's probably one of the hardest tracks, uh, no matter what series you run, what package you run, what tire, whatever that you run. This is probably one of the hardest tracks to pass uh, across the board. You know, as far as the cup race goes, I I want to be a little reserved with my comments because I, I don't like being critical of NASCAR. I love NASCAR. Um, that's why I want to work so badly around the sport. And you never like criticizing something that you love so dearly and that you hold uh, so highly in, in, in your heart and, and really in your life. But, you know, a, a lot of what happened last night, first off, the product for an all-star event should have been far better. Uh, I, I was happy when they moved it from Charlotte, not for the sake of them, but not because I didn't like Charlotte. I just wanted them to rotate the the race itself. I thought the all-star event, much like other sports, should have the opportunity to visit different regions, different uh, fan bases, and, and have a, a greater reach and to allow a lot of fans to experience the very unique environment that creates the all-star race. Um, you know, last year at Texas, I was pretty skeptical. Race ended up being okay. Um, so I, I didn't think too much of it when they came back this year. Um, you know, it, it, it was a rough night for all around. It was a rough night for the tires. It was a rough night for passing. It was a rough night for officiating. Um, I think it really just the combination of everything together made it so much so that I've never seen NASCAR Twitter so unified about anything in a good or bad way. Um, in, in fact, I'm actually I'm surprised that 10% said it was a, a good race in that poll. I, I expected it to be less uh, based off of what I've read. Must on have been all Blaney people. Eh. Um, you know what? At the end of the race, uh, the, the one thing I'll be outright critical about in this is that what NASCAR should have done, they should have had Blaney come down pit road. Don't even chance it. Have Blaney come down pit road let the team put up the window net and then let him resume the race from the position he had to pit from. Uh, you know, it's the all-star race. There's no points on the line. It wouldn't be the craziest thing we've ever seen in the all-star race. In 2001, half the field crashed out on lap one. There was rain and NASCAR let them all put out backup cars. Dale Jr. will never let anybody forget that because he feels like after everybody else wrecked, he had the car to beat. Um, and to this day, he still mentions how no, none of them had to go through tech uh, before the race, before they resumed. Um, but yeah, no, if anything, I think that would have been the proper call. I know that that's what a lot of the talk is around uh, right now about the window net, the safety. Denny Hamlin had some comments after, uh, you know, Blaney deserved to win that race uh, after the uh, events of the accident that involved uh, Kyle Busch and Chastain and Elliott. He definitely had the most consistent car of the night, and definitely by the end of the race, he had it dialed in the best, better than anyone. He was pulling away from Hamlin on old tires when Hamlin had much fresher. So, uh, you know, as far as the future of Texas goes, uh, you know, after seeing the reaction last night, uh, I'd really be curious to see the numbers uh, when Adam Stern puts them out. I don't know if he has already about uh, viewership and ticket sales. 
And I'll also be monitoring very closely when the series goes back there in October for the playoff race. Uh, you know, that that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I've not really liked Texas since the reconfiguration. Um, hopefully there is something that NASCAR and SMI can collaborate to do to fix it. Uh, Truthfully, I wouldn't mind, you know, if they um, if they took that auto club plan and somehow adapted it to Texas instead. I know it's maybe not the most realistic idea. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, I think right now, ta Texas is probably the most likely track, um, if it were the fans choice, at least to go, um, especially after last night. So, you know, I I'll kind of leave it at that because I don't like I said, I don't want to get too critical. Um, and, and I don't want to don't want to leave a, a sour taste in anybody's mouth who doesn't already have one. Um, but certainly I hope that if anything, NASCAR, the fans, SMI, Goodyear, everyone, everyone involved in any part of making the all-star race what it was this year. I hope they can learn. I hope we can all learn. I hope we as fans can learn to maybe take it a little easier on NASCAR and maybe provide a little bit more creative insight, more ideas on what we want to have it fixed. In turn, hopefully NASCAR, SMI, will take our word and, uh, and let it have a little bit larger impact moving forward. Hopefully Goodyear, whatever's happening with the tires the past few weeks, will have soon been remembered as an isolated issue. I don't know if that will be the case, but hopefully. And if anything, hopefully we can use all this information to learn moving forward for 2023. The schedule is not set in stone yet. The all-star race is certainly not set in stone yet for 2023. And, uh, and the tires, I don't know if they need to go back and, and redevelop them over the course of the off season or, or what, but, um, despite all the negativity around the race, it actually may be healthy that we have a race that in the eyes of the fans was as poor as it was. Um, this may provide new direction for NASCAR. This may push the industry and the drivers and the teams to uh, new heights. You know, you never know. Sometimes you need that really low low in order to have some really high highs. So I'm really hoping for the best um, out of everything. But it was absolutely concerning, uh, the events of last night. And uh, hopefully things go up. You have a way you're, I mean, you're a way more positive person than I'll ever be, I guess, Joe, but, um, the fact of the matter is, uh, NASCAR probably needs you to work for their PR, um, cause you did a really good job there. Uh, you did a better job than the Steves would do, um, or Scott Miller does in regards to some of the farcical, totally farcical events that we saw yesterday, um, there, uh, in general, I mean, it's, I'm going to leave it. I don't want to go down that road. I'm, I'm trying to be a better person in that sense. I've, I've already said plenty about Texas Motor Speedway, whether it's on this show, whether it's on Talking in Circles with Clayton, uh, whether elsewhere. I've never been a fan when Goosage was around with all the crap that he did, and they reconfigured it, I don't know how many different times, because they screwed it up. And now they have two stupid, two different types of corners, they made it so that IndyCars can't even race there properly. Uh, and IndyCar was their best product, whether it was the IRL crap or even when IndyCar was able to run. Um, it's, it's I don't know, it's just crazy. But, I mean, when it comes to the Indy 500, qualifying was, was amazing and 
intense. And I just want to go through the the starting lineup, the front row for the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday. Scott Dixon with a four lap average of 234.046 miles an hour puts it on pole. His teammate and defending series champion Alex Pelot finished a runner up finisher, of course, in last year's 500. Second at 233.499. Renus VK gives Ed Carpenter Racing another front row start, uh, 233.385. That seems to be the spot they get because even when Spencer Piggott drove that car, he qualified third. Ed Carpenter starts fourth. He just got over 233 miles an hour average. Marcus Erickson, Tony Kanan round out the fast six. Tony Kanan and his... Uh, one off in the American Legion number one car. Pato Award, Felix Rosenquist, Roman Grosjean, so the two two um, McLaren cars and the end first Andretti car. Takuma Sato, who had been fast all week, um, hit the wall on his qualifying fast 12 run, but still stayed in it, um, was um, 10th, former two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Will Power, Jimmy Johnson is your top 12. David Malukas, uh, the rookie driving for Dale Coyne Racing, who's had a rough year so far. Guy I picked for rookie of the year has had a brutal uh, start to the year. He will be starting 13th alongside Joseph Newgarden, who's trying to win the Indianapolis 500 to really solidify himself at Penske forever. Santino Ferrucci starts 15th. He's had a great uh, career at the Indy 500. So he's driving for Dryan Reinbold again this year. See what they can do there. Simon Pagano, former winner of this race, driving for Meyer Schenk is 16th. J.R. Hildebrand and Connor Daly make up, uh, what is it, row six. Row seven will be rookie Callum Eilat, former winner Alexander Rossi and Green Rehall. And row eight, Sage Karam. Marco Andretti, Devlin DeFrancesco. So if anyone's betting, he's a caution that's waiting to happen. I don't know what the odds are on that, but likely he'll cause a caution. Um, Then in row nine, Colton Herta. So this row is going to be interesting. Row nine with Colton Herta, who's run well, qualified well in this race before and has had issues. Scott McLaughlin and... The defending race winner trying to win the Borg-Warner like $400,000 bonus or whatever the heck it is for winning back-to-back because he was the last one to do it in 01 and 02. Elio Castro-Neves will be defending, starting his defense of the Indy 500 from 27th position. Row 10 will be Kyle Kirkwood, the rookie for AJ Foyt Racing in the 14 car. His teammate, Dalton Kellett, who wrecked in practice. Juan Pablo Monterrier, trying for his third Indianapolis 500 win, will start 30th for for McLaren. And the last row, Christian Lundgaard, Jack Harvey for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing, and Stefan Wilson, who didn't get to set a time, but because there's only 33 cars, he's in the field. So that's the 33 cars that we'll see. Um, I didn't have the Delta Force intro behind me. I didn't have the nicknames like Brock Beard or any of that. I'm sure he'll probably post that later this week. Uh, the Delta Force thing is really cool. So with that, um, I'm going to call an end to 
this episode, episode 115 of the GSP. Um, thanks to uh, Joe and Spencer for coming on to talk about, you know, memories and things, what it means and what this week will be. At least we're getting a little bit of a, a little uh, brief in, inter, I guess, uh, preview of each race. And um, for Josh, as always, for Karen coming through, being uh, the right, my right hand man, my tag team partner and Indy 500 winner now. So there is a bigger. So maybe we have to go and get another trophy. I know you want to have the belt from the the Fall Brawl Fantasy League, but I I think we could go and find a trophy (coughs) on one of those trophy smack or whatever. And we can get you a trophy. It won't be a Borg Warner but maybe uh, something for your iRacing Indy 500 win. Uh, to you're in the same uh, level as Jimmy Broadbent now since you've won a... Oh, yeah, that is true. Well, yeah, I forgot about you've that. Won an open, you've won an open Indy 500, so you're in the same group as like yeah. Jimmy Broadbent, and he's a professional race car driver these days. Yeah, he's so. a pro racer now. He's sim yeah. racer, and now he's pro racer. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I had an idea. I mean at some point later in the year maybe i or at some point maybe we can you know dale jr has got a indy car that he didn't even race in real life but they made die casts out of the iRacing indy car maybe we can get a gsp indy car die cast somehow i don't know where we can get custom indy car die cast but i will try to figure something out <laughs> there there are custom you could sacrifice like a Devlin D Francesco car and it's just the pain of having to pay for a Devlin D Francesco car. But um the or somebody an old uh super speedway car from a few years ago and we just have to work on a good scheme and then I'd buy one. I'd go and buy one. You can buy one. You can you're gonna buy one because you won and I just want to have it because then I can have it in the background even though we have everything blanked out here on Discord. But it's like I have my old trophy for, I put the trophy over there. My Mario Andretti um, Funko Pop is still behind there. And I have my lanyards from my days when I used to be a proper journalist. I've just become a drunken podcaster now. Um, So with that, I'm going to go and throw to you, Spencer, where can we find your work and um, where can we follow you this weekend since uh, it is Indy 500 week? Oh, um, Josh, I'm out here. So if you want me to get you a Borg Warner keychain or trophy, or I mean pin or something, just let me know and I'll make that happen for you. Um, as far as social yeah, media, it's all at IndyCar1909 or at Spencer Neff, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-N-E-F-F, my name, 11. Um, those are the two handles for... Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok, even though I haven't posted anything on there. Snapchat, same thing. Um, so I'm going to be posting stuff. I have to give a shout out to a couple of my buddies on Twitter. Um, my friend Brian, who's at 500 in the 1911, um, actually, you know, is a big sat nerd too, like, or that guy, sorry, um, like I am. So, you're not following him go ahead and check him out he's always got some pretty cool stuff he was on i think it's called the turn four podcast um so that a follow and then um i actually had a suggestion from another friend his name is at vincent venegas i believe he's at v-i-n 
Designs 2013. Um, he does some really cool driver paintings and stuff. His daughter, yep. Sloan, has made some nice bracelets, and there is a cute video of her with Joseph Newgarden uh, before the GP. Um, he had the suggestion of making a Twitter thread of all the helmets that each driver has. So it's hashtag Indy 500 driver helmet thread or helmet thread, um, and I'll be posting updates on that throughout the week. Um, and I'll just be kind of posting various stuff about the race and all that um, over the next week or so. So, you know, buddy who's interested, follow me there. Yeah. And thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. The helmet thread with you and Vincent has been uh, great. I mean, Vincent does great work. Uh, We've been uh, Twitter friends and followers for a while. Um, He is very, he is great at his work and he, I mean, he's a great, dad as well as being a great artist so and work whatever but he has a passion for indie car racing too um spencer's been taking to getting them pictures for all the different helmets and there's been plenty of great helmets uh coming along here for this indy 500 i mean jimmy uh throwing back to i think blake shelton's grandfather or something and his grandfather oh. you have like tony Kanan with the legion you have um uh, what is it? Marcus Erickson kind of throwing back to old school looks and also his, um, you know, Scandinavian background. You have all these other guys that are in there. The helmets are great. Um, so check them out on Spencer's uh, Twitter feed. Uh, Joe, where can we follow you um, for your coverage of NASCAR? It's going to be a busy week, of course, not just the 600, which is the one that matters the most, but There'll be an Xfinity race, which used to have a hooligan race. That was one of the things I loved about the Charlotte Bush Series races back in the day. They used to have the hooligan race to make the back end of the show when they used to have a lot of cars. But um, the Alsco 300 will be taking place on Saturday. The Truck Series race will be on Friday. So a full weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway for um, uh, NASCAR. Where can we follow you? Where can we see your work? Sure. So uh, head over to Twitter at Passero Jr. That's P-A-S-S-E-R-O-J-R. That's where I do all my tweeting, my stage point updates, my live reactions, pretty much my lifeline to connecting with everyone. Um, You can also find my work on beyondtheflag.com. Just yesterday before the All-Star Race, uh, we published uh, one of my newest articles. Uh, It's a mock-up schedule for 2023 that uh, a lot of people have already told me I made some wrong decisions and I made some right decisions. Uh, So some people seem to be uh, pretty heated about it. Others seem to really like it. Uh, So head on over, check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, Tweet me, tweet me at Pacero Jr. I don't get many tweets back, so I will reply if I see it. Um, And uh, just thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate coming on here. I have a few projects currently in the works. Uh, I'm not, they're not developed enough to where I can talk about them yet. But uh, I'm hoping they come to fruition this summer. And if so, it's going to expand some of my uh, responsibilities media-wise. So I'm hoping that that comes to to fruition. And if it does, I'll be sure to let you guys know. Definitely check out Joe because his passion for the sport, it kind of reminds me of what I was initially as a fan. And even in my time is covering the sport, not only on the NASCAR and IndyCar side, uh the energy is there and way more eloquent than i'll ever be way more passionate about it than i'll ever be uh i think but the fact of the matter is joe 
is a great follow and he's the interaction is great and that's the thing with both Spencer and Joe interaction with the fans is good and in this day and age I mean even with the way fans are uh, it, it's a good thing to have so thank you Joe thank you Spencer and and now to our Indy 500 champion um, you need to promote your Twitch stream since um, we have to see that video. I want to see your your celebration video, and if it was more, if it was more Alio, or was it more like like I don't know Rick Mears, where he was dreading having to do the speech uh, while he was leading the his Indy 500 when he won in 1991 he was dreading the last 15 laps thinking about his speeches he was gonna have to give which is one of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life but it is totally rick mears yeah i mean it's i mean i don't have like a celebration like that but um i didn't have the video turned on when i won the race but i mean it's basically almost similar the 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 sounds that came out of my mouth were very similar to jimmy broadbent's i think that's kind of how it was you know, a lot of, you know, just, yeah, yes, 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 pumping up my fist up and down, that kind of thing. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk, I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll send you a link here in a, in a minute. But, um, yeah, it's up on the Twitch, the clip of winning the iRacing Open Series Indy 500 and the clip of that last lap. And then also um, the clip of basically where I effectively won the race, I think, in my mind, uh, making the, effectively the winning pass for lead it was for second place um but then uh the guy that was in the lead had to pit and then we still had one more pit cycle after that but was able to keep the lead after that making that pass and stay out in front um so it was a you know it was a good thing that i was able to do i mean i sorry i didn't tell you about it before i ran the race because this is literally like last minute kind of thing like i kind of woke up and i was like you know it's at one o'clock you know maybe i might do this and then i did and then I won. So <laughs> that's how that's how it goes sometimes. Like I was, you know, I you know I told you, told Joe about the um, fixed Indy Series 500, and I was, you know, thinking that would be my best chance to win, I guess. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking about it over the week. I was like, you know, maybe I'll try, like, because they have these setup shops online where you can, you know, you download a free one or you can pay a couple of dollars, like $3, to get the, I guess, the, the upgraded version. And I did that, and then I was like, you know, Maybe I might try this. I don't know. I came on Saturday morning, woke up, you know, um, and then one o'clock rolled, or not one o'clock, but like getting close to one o'clock. I was like, maybe I might do this. And I did. So won the race. So that's, you know, sometimes that's how gaming is. You kind of just do it when you feel like it, and you end up actually winning the whole damn thing. So, um, of course, you can watch all that and the half of the race because I didn't start recording until lap 94 because I was like, I didn't want to record because I was like, I don't know. I might. I don't know if I might win this, and I kind of just want to, you know, just be here on my own. And then I was in second, and I had led a couple of laps already you know, at lap 94, and we had a caution. I was like, "All right, I'll pull up the stream program," and I did. And then you have the last 106 laps of the race to watch if you want on my Twitch, which you can find the Twitch at uh, Twitch TV slash Usailor Two. Go in there and watch the open series uh, last 106 laps from lap 94 all the way to the end of that and then also the fixed series full race 200 laps that i did uh last week or two weekends ago now um you, you can watch there and then of course you know my other 
you know, basically that's that. And uh, Twitter, of course, you can watch or follow me on Twitter and see what I have to say about the racing and, you know, about all the other things that I'm interested in. And then, you know, of course, we've got our YouTube channel, which we're, you know, posting these video feeds on. And you can follow that on YouTube at uh, Grip Strip Podcast there. Subscribe to our page. Subscribe uh, there and uh, like our videos, comment, and, you know, uh, Keep keep on eye out on for more videos as we continue throughout the year, and of course, we've got this video that we'll produce later, and then you know we meet up later back uh, later in the week. We'll have that video up too, and then anything else that we have, any bonus content we might have, which got something in the works for that. You know, from our last conversation, Joe, we had um, going to post that one up and maybe post the one that we had earlier today. So that's you know that's where you can look at all our stuff and everything. So um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, there we got plenty of stuff going on. We're on a lot of different platforms. I don't know what's been going on with uh, listenership, but hopefully um, we can kind of get the summer rolling. We'll go and um, get people back on it. Um, even if you're not going to get back on it, I don't. At the end, it bo- it does bother me, but it doesn't bother me because in the end, it's our deal, and the people that are listening do like the product. I've gotten plenty of compliments from all different. Um, walks of life people who are not racing fans are willing to listen to the show. So that tells you all you need to know. And mostly what we talk about is racing. Um, so for that, we're thankful. Um, thanks to everybody that's uh, here. Of course, my man, Josh, Joe, Spencer. You can follow me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. You can follow us at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find the Grip Strip Podcast on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, Verbal, and YouTube. Uh, recently, of course, we've had our episodes on there over the last few months. Uh, Josh has been spearheading that and also sharing our our feeds on the Twitter page there, Grip Strip Pod. So with that, um, episode 115 is complete. We'll be back later in the week for episode 116 to preview the uh, Monaco Grand Prix, the Indianapolis 500, Coca-Cola 600, kind of get a brief recap of the races that took place this past weekend and get into anything else that will be going on uh, this coming weekend and last weekend in episode 116. So with that... We thank you for listening or watching the Grip Trip Podcast, and uh, we'll see you around later in the week. Take care.